want to see what life is like inside the bottle. Jen's Playground now has its own website and Facebook fan page. Go to www.jensplayground.com for more details. Damn. Her voice kind of does something for me, man. What do you think, Roach? Is it hot in here, or am I just high as a kite? Yeah. Her voice is so calm and so soothing. Wait. Hello? Who the hell are you, and why are you interrupting my sequence? Easy there, baby cakes. We're kind of a big thing here on this show. I'm Gigglepuss, and this here's my soul brother, Roach. What's up, baby cakes? Seriously? Your name is Gigglepuss? High school must have been easy for you. You must constantly need to peel the ladies off of you. Ooh, she got you there, GP. Sick burn. Whoa, whoa, whoa there, sister. You need to chillax. Chillax? Really? Who the hell uses that word? Don't ever say that word again. Not here. Not now. Not ever. <laughs> Alright, listen here, Bride of Stephen Hawking. If I wasn't a pacifist and you weren't just some electronic voice, I'd unleash some sweet stoner justice on your ass. Right. Go back to the sweat lodge and get a haircut, you hippie. Do you really think that just because I'm a voice emulator, that I can't start some shit? I will freaking throat stomp you. Enter the dragon style. Don't think that I won't. Alright. That's all I can stand and I can't stand no more. You're going down, Sal 2000. Hold me back, Roach. Come on, man. You're supposed to have my back, man. Huh? Oh. Don't do it, man. Seriously. She's not worth it, GP. She's not worth it. Yeah, you're lucky, sweet cheeks. You're right, Roach. She's not worth it. Frackin' Cylon trying to front on me. Gear down, broha. Relax. Let's smoke some righteous herb and listen to the playground. Jin's got another episode up. Maybe you're right, Bohemian Rhapsody. Like our brother Jeff Spicoli always says, All I need is some tasty waves, a cool buzz, and I'm fine. Yeah. Hey, you might want to get out of the way. You know how the Jin likes to make a grand entrance. Oh, shit. Right. My bad. <laughs> and just like that, ladies and gentlemen, episode number 21 is underway. 18 wheels hauling ass through the cyber highways of your mind, body, and soul. And there ain't a goddamn thing you can do about it. Even if you could do something about it, why would you want to? I am your host, the Almighty Jin. Welcome one and all to Jin's Playground. If you're a first-time listener, well, you might be uh, asking yourself what the hell's going on. And it's only fair to give you a brief description of what you're about to get into here. At times, this podcast is about one guy's take on the ins and outs of the game of Magic the Gathering and the subculture it's created. Other times it's about getting into heated debates with myself regarding the acceptable volumes of Red Bull I should be drinking on a daily basis. On occasion we discuss the proper ways in which to insert dollar bills into an adult entertainer's G-string. 
And we don't spend a whole lot of time on that particular subject because, uh, well, let's be honest here. We could write a small novel on that topic, and we want to try and keep the show under an hour, you know? This is the podcast you want to listen to after you're through listening to all the other magic podcasts that, uh, unlike this podcast, have good and informative content. This is the podcast you want to listen to when you start to become cross-eyed from reading all of those online magic articles that are riddled with equations on how to adjust the mana base for that awful-looking four-color control deck. This is definitely the podcast that you want to listen to when you just want to say, screw it, crack open a nice cold beer or your beverage of choice, and just kick back for the carpet ride. Know what I'm saying? This is not a podcast for small children. I have a couple of children of my own, and uh, there's no way in hell I'd let them listen to this show. You know, maybe when they're 40 and I'm using a walker and sucking on an oxygen tank, flipping off my doctors and grabbing the nurse's asses, maybe then I'll let them listen to some of these shows. But for now, let's be good parents and throw on the headphones or wait until the kids hit the hay before listening to this show. There are some adult themes on this program, and at times, there will be some profanity. Uh, if, this is a, uh, if this is a problem for you, and if it's, uh, you know, if it's something that concerns you or deeply offends you, then uh, I think it's high time to check the balls and make sure that the package is indeed accounted for. Take my word for it, your host has no issues whatsoever of letting those low-hanging chapel bells ring. You know, come to think about it, I think it's important to do a junk check every so often. Hell, I do one every morning. You know, I wake up, I rub the eye boogers away, you know, check the time, traditional morning stretch, and then I frantically check to make sure that the unit is intact. Because you can never be too sure. But I want to be clear about something. I'm not one of those podcasts that drops bombs every other word. You know, see, to me, that that's just weak sauce. I'm sure you've all heard, you know, some of these podcasts or shows where, where some of these guys are like, hmm, well, my parents aren't in the room. They, they're never going to hear this, uh, and, and, and this is the Internet, so I can say whatever it is I want to say. So without further ado, shit, fuck, cock, ass, penis, penis, penis. Now, you know, you're listening to this, and, and you have this overwhelming desire to ask them, okay, all right, so you got that out of your system. So, now, what else do you have to say? My guess is that you'll get crickets for an answer. So, to sum it all up, you're going to need to take some uh, Thick Skin 101 as a mandatory prereq to listen to this podcast. But don't let that scare you off. Most of the time, I'm just a fluffy teddy bear that also happens to be an agent of chaos. Speaking of scaring people off, this episode is the official... All Hallows Eve, it's the great pumpkin Charlie Brown, give me five pillowcases worth of candy or I'll have a nervous breakdown, Halloween edition of Jin's Playground. We got a lot of fun stuff packed into this episode. This one's going to be good. So with that said, let's go ahead and get the rage-fueled ranting out of the way first, and then we can move on to the delightfully fun, light-hearted trick-or-treat shit. What do you say? Alright, I'm going to let you all in on a little secret here. It's a secret that's been kept safe for a long, long time now. But uh, I'm going to go ahead and let the cat out of the bag. 
brace yourselves. You guys ready? Come in closer. Alright, here it is. Nobody cares about your rating. I know. <laughs> I know. I mean, it's a little shocking to hear at first. You know, depending on who you are, you might need a moment to let that set in. You know, it's a, a bit rough to digest, but I wouldn't lie to you. It's the God's honest truth. Nobody cares. You hear guys talking about, well, uh, a month ago I was sitting at 1903, but then I shit the bed and dropped like 25 points, and then I had to win the next four Friday Night Magics just to get back to the 1900s. Folks, throw out your volumes, throw out your Ambien, just let one of these guys talk for five minutes and you're good as gold. Think about all the time people spend needlessly worrying about a simple number. That's kind of like someone dedicating time to worship a tomato. just doesn't make any sense. I mean, they concern themselves with a number that really doesn't mean a goddamn thing. There, I said it. Rating doesn't mean shit. Yeah, I get this sometimes when someone will, will, will ask me, Hey, wh what's your constructed rating at? And I'll tell them, Man, I, I honestly don't know. You know. I don't pay a whole lot of attention to that bullshit anymore. You know, and then they'll give me that look, like I'm, I'm a little insane. Like, ooh, he's one of those people. How can he not care about his rating? He has to care. He simply has to. I don't give a huckleberry fart. Our DCI rating system is based on the ELO system that's used to rank chess players. Well, the problem with that is that chess is a game where all the pieces are visible to both players, and the winner is based upon the player's skill or lack thereof. In chess, luck is measured only by what mistakes an opponent might make. But a chess player, when faced in a precarious situation, can't rip a fireball off the top to get that one outer luck box win. In Magic, that happens all the time. You know, the superior chess player won't mulligan down to four, allowing the novice chess player to have a huge advantage and ha have a really good chance to win. The fact that chance plays a part in Magic overall, I think, is a good thing in the grand scheme. Uh, but that fact also gives way to the possibility of winning streaks and, more to the point, losing streaks, you know, despite the skill level of that player. So as far as measuring who the best is via rankings, uh, this particular rating system doesn't do that very well. You know, our, our ratings can definitely show who is running good or, or, or running bad, but it doesn't necessarily indicate the overall skill of that player. You know, a pro to a regular could go on an ice-cold skid you know, drop down into the 1800s, and you might actually find yourself with a higher rating than that pro. But does that mean that you're better or more skillful than that pro? And let's look at these pros for a minute. Uh, you know, I've I've seen guys like PV, LSV, Cheon, Conley Woods, Chapin. I've watched all of them lose at some point. You know what they didn't do? They didn't throw their arms in the air and say, that's just fucking great. You know, I got a little unlucky, my, my rating just took a giant shit against this scrub, and now I'm going to have to roll off like four straight wins just to get back to where I was. Yeah, none of them do that. You know why? My guess is that they probably put minimal stock into worrying about something that they can't truly control. You know, instead they worry more about playing tight, you know, making good decisions, and constantly doing things to improve their games. Because the way they figure it, you know, if they're doing all of that, their rating situation is going to take care of itself. You know, ratings, they, they go up and down. You know, it's just a fact. You know, you have limited control over that. My rating, uh, wow, I mean, it's seen the depths of the 1600s. 
all the way to the peaks of the 2000s. And guess what? Well, I'm still here. Nothing's changed. No matter where you go, there you are. You know, when it comes to measuring skill, your magic rating is a direct reflection of nothing. You know, you know when I check my rating? When I know for a fact that I'm going to a Grand Prix and, and I'm curious to see what my buy count is. That's it. Outside of that, in all of my years of playing tournament magic, and there are a lot of years, that little number hasn't served me any real purpose at all. And that led me to make the natural decision to not put that much juice into it. So, did you just lose to someone playing in their first tournament? Don't let that stupid number be the first thing you think about, and don't get pissed off about it. It's gonna be okay. Take a deep breath. Relax. Have some queso. And just worry about playing the best you can in your next round. You do that and you're gonna be alright. Oh, you thought I might be done ranting. <laughs> I'm just getting warmed up. I have one more bone to pick, and this time it's with these malcontent magic players who are whining and complaining about mythic rares. You know, I'm hearing a lot of crying going on about, you know, how players who would normally invest in magic are now being priced out of the game, and they claim that they can't afford the high price point of the mythic rares, how the value of the normal rares are being driven down due to the fact that the rares are either crappy from a power perspective, or because a shit ton of packs are being opened in an attempt to acquire these powerful mythic rares, and in turn, it's saturating the market. Well, my response to all of this? What a bunch of candy asses. Stop your bitching and pull out your wallet. Go ahead, peel it back. Snap it off. You got a savings account? Use it. Got a day job and still don't have enough money? Go work graves bussing tables at Denny's, you pansy. There's just no excuse for this. Listen, I speak from experience here. Trust me, you haven't lived until you've peeled off over a grand to buy two cases of a set, knowing full well that 95% of all the cards are going to be complete and utter gobshite. Living with the fact that you spent that much on what amounts to a meager handful of good cards is a mighty feeling indeed. It's as if your soul took a bath in pure, unadulterated joy. Holding those four cough in your hand after opening up over 6,000 other cards is a lot like watching your first child being born. Clinging on to that foursome of Elspeth creates wedding day happiness. And looking at that playset of Venser is, is kind of like gazing upon the Las Vegas skyline on a Saturday night for the very first time in your life. And check out those rares now. You know, there was a time when a rare would fetch like $15, $20. I remember when these people bitched and complained about that. Seriously, I have to peel off $20 for a curse scroll? Man, my life sucks so bad right now. Well, now those rares on average cost like 50 cents, and you guys are still complaining? Come on. Now let's try to be objective about this. Put yourself in my shoes, okay? I'll spend thousands of dollars each year just to have four of everything in standard, and when I go to a tournament, I can whoop-ass on all the other players who can't afford to buy cards like Jace the Mind Sculptor and Koth. Works out pretty friggin' fantastic for me. I mean, why the hell would I want to change things up? The only way things might be better for me is if they created another rare commonality that, that was even more scarce than the Mythic. We could call it like the, the fabled ultra-mythic of legend and badassery. Yeah! 
The odds of pulling a normal Mythic are 1 in every, what, 8 packs? Screw it! The odds for pulling this bad boy would be like 1 in every 8 boxes, baby. And that way it forces people to buy more than just a single case, just so that they could get their hands on one. This card would be like two grand each out of the gate. Maybe three or four grand if you can get one in foil. I mean, I don't even know what this card does yet, and I'm already game to slap eight, ten thousand dollars on a barrel head to get myself a playset. Oh man, the creative juices are locked in right now. Wizards is going to have no choice but to give me a job after this idea. Check it out. Instead of the normal ink that they use to print on all the other unworthy cards, they could print this card using the blood of virgins. The borders would be lined with ink that was used to write the Dead Sea Scrolls with. And it would have to be a planeswalker, right? I mean, what else could it be? I got it. How about Jace 3.0? We'll call him Jace the Dragonfucker. Oh, I dig it. And the illustration on this card would be boss. I can imagine it now. You'd have Jace in his flowing robes pointing at some massive shivan dragon, and the dragon's just cowering in a corner, scared, and its ears are back, and the flavor text would be like, Please, Jace. Dude, no means no. But we got to figure out what Jace the dragon fucker does. Let's throw four loyalty on him. What the hell? That's a good starting point. First ability, plus one loyalty, target opponent vomits in disgust. That's a nice one. Magic shop owners would be thrilled with that one. You know, they'll have to keep a bucket handy on Friday nights, you know. They'll refer to it as the Jace Bucket. Oh man, and can you imagine how a Grand Prix would smell after Jace 3.0 became legal? Glorious. Alright, let's, let's get back on track here. Negative two loyalty... Gain control of target opponent's girlfriend. <laughs> I like that one. That one is hot. Well, then again, now that I think about it, that ability could actually potentially turn out to be a savage backfire and actually help our opponent. We'd have to playtest that design to be sure. And lastly, we, we gotta have an ultimate, right? This ultimate has to be a grand slam, folks. This one has got a rock. How about negative six loyalty? Target player sells their entire collection on eBay and gives up on the game of magic forever. You just don't get any more powerful than that, guys. Speaking sincerely now, I, I do run a small hobby business off of eBay buying and selling magic cards, and I also have the means in which to purchase a playset of everything in standard. I have several friends that uh, I, I loan cards to. I do it because I want to, first and foremost. You know, I enjoy hanging out with my buddies, slinging cards, and talking about decks. But here's the cold hard fact. If I were to sell off my collection tomorrow, I would not only retire myself from the game, but I would effectively retire all of my friends who do not have the means in which to afford all of these cards. You know, it didn't used to be this way. There was a time in which those very players could easily justify buying the cards that they needed and maintaining their own collections to play competitive decks. If I had quit the game then, it wouldn't really have affected anyone and the players would play on it. But that time has long since passed. The price points on these cards that they need to remain competitive has reached absurd levels. And uh, I, I deeply believe that these mythics have created a, a great disconnection between the players who will buy these cards and the players that will not or cannot buy these cards. The impact that Mythics are having is its anything but positive for the game. 
But what really, really pisses me off about our friend the Mythic is how it effectively handicaps the way in which a Magic player thinks about the game. You know, I have a, a buddy who is, is on another level when it comes to thinking about Magic. He thinks about it a lot, and, and he comes up with some serious left-field ideas, but sometimes in the middle of all that theorizing and brainstorming, you know, he'll shake off one idea and move on to another one, claiming it, it just doesn't matter. You know, there, there's no way that we, we have the cards to make this deck. You know, he may have been onto something. He may have the perfect concoction and perhaps the ideal deck to bring to that standard tournament, but he cuts the idea loose because of availability. It's effectively neutered the way in which he thinks about magic. It's reduced to a limited scope because these cards are, are just not going to be available, and that is a direct result of the cost-prohibitive nature of the Mythic. You know, how good is that for the game? Now, I know, you know, there, there's been many discussions on this topic, but some of you asked how I feel about it, and now you know. I don't like how the Mythic Rare has affected the game. You know, I still love the game. I just hate to see my friends throw up their hands and walk away from it because they can't afford it anymore. You know, it's hard for me to blame them. I can definitely appreciate that Wizards is in the business to make money, but I think there comes a point when they should ask themselves, are we being too greedy with our business model? You know, it's like they went straight to asking the question, can we create the mythic, forgetting to ask, should we make the mythic? You know, it begs the question, will Wizards ever go back to the way it was when everyone was able to own and maintain their own collections instead of huddling around generous beacons who were kind enough to loan out their expensive cards? I sincerely doubt it. Wizards and Hasbro have a voracious appetite. And one thing we know about someone who eats too much too fast, they run the serious risk of choking. Something they may want to consider. Well, it's that time of the year again, kids, and I figured this time around I'd do something a little bit different. It's a little off the topic of magic. Well, okay, it's all the way and completely off topic from magic. But what the hell, it's Halloween. It's my podcast. Let the good times roll, right? One of my other passions is movies, and no genre is really safe. I love them all. Yes, I even go to film festivals. And yes, I watch the Oscars, and I even run an Oscar pool. I'm a film geek, what can I say? One of the big reasons I love Halloween so much is that most of the movie channels on cable get taken over by horror movies the week leading up to Halloween. And they usually go full blast with the horror flicks on the actual day of Halloween. So my tradition is pretty simple. I start in the morning and go straight through until like 3am, eating candy and popcorn while watching horror movies. You know, and I, I, I stop every once in a while to drain the pipe and answer the doorbell to throw candy at the kids. And no, I don't do both at the same time, you degenerates. Last year, I think TBS or some cable channel put the original Night of the Living Dead on a marathon loop. You know, and, and any time I caught a commercial on, on some other station, or if I got bored with the current movie I was watching, I'd just flip over to that station and watch the George A. Romero classic. I don't expect that this year will be any different. Although, uh, there is going to be the AMC series debut called The Walking Dead, based on the comic series, that looks insanely good. I will reserve two hours for that, but outside of that, it's going to be non-stop horror movies till the break of dawn. Now, you've probably been asked, what's the scariest movie you've ever seen? 
I've been asked that many times, and I figured I might as well uh, put my list up for the top ten scariest movies of all time for you guys. Now, there is a distinction between the scariest movies I've ever seen and the best horror movies I've ever seen. Because even though these movies are technically considered horror movies, not all horror movies are scary. You know, case in point, Evil Dead 2. Fantastic horror movie, you know, but many might consider it more of a comedy. No, these are the movies, uh, you know, they're the ones that, at one point in my life, got under my skin and scared the piss out of me. For the record, I don't scare easily. But I'm not one of those guys, you know, they, they go into a really scary movie with a bunch of their friends, and then afterwards they say, Oh, that was stupid. Or, Oh, that wasn't scary. You know, some of these guys even try to laugh during the real scary parts. And, you know, we all know why they do this. They, they do it as a desperate act to mask their own fears and insecurities. And it's not to say that some people may sincerely feel a movie isn't scary. But it's pretty evident in the way people act afterwards if they're, you know, they're trying to be a, a macho asshole or if they're, you know, they were truly unfazed. Personally, I don't feel the need to impress anyone, so I'll go to a horror movie with the, with the anticipation uh, of wanting to be scared and, and to see what they got for me, you know? In order for a horror movie to scare you, you have to be willing to drop your guard a little and allow it to happen. So consider this a big spoiler alert. I may reveal some things about the movies, but I, I'm going to try my best not to give away too much of the good stuff in case you want to, you know, to see the movie for yourself. Counting down from number 10 down to numero uno. We start with number 10, Event Horizon. Now, I remember seeing this movie at the theaters with a buddy of mine in my early 20s. I remember uh, at the time that I wasn't totally on board to go see it. You know, it looked like one of those straight-to-cable movies, despite having Lawrence Fishburne in it. I was also of the mindset that there wasn't going to be another science fiction-based horror flick that was ever going to top Alien. You know, and in the end, I was right. You know, this movie doesn't top Alien. But it did do something that Alien didn't do, and that was really give me the creeps afterwards. The premise is pretty simple. An experimental ship that's capable of traveling to another dimension... You know, it was lost, and all of a sudden it comes back. So, you know, a team is sent to go find out what the hell happened to this ship and its crew. Now, some of you may have played the video game Dead Space. Now, that game borrows a lot from this movie. There's one part of this film that really stuck with me. Uh, in trying to piece together what happened to the crew of this ship, Fishburne's people are watching a video log from the captain, and, you know, just as this crew is about to ready to fold space and go into this other dimension. You know, everything's great, the crew is in good spirits. Then there's, you know, this video of what took place after they came back from this dimension. And, oh man, it still messes with me just thinking about it. Number nine is The Howling. Now this movie you might be able to lump in with some of those cheesy horror movies from the 80s, and you'd be right to do so. But I was a ten-year-old kid at the time, you know. I watched this flick and it, it scared the underoos right off of me. Now, I know I might be committing blasphemy in some circles when I say that this werewolf transformation is the best one of all time, even to this date. You know, these days, you know, werewolf transformations are all done with CGI, and uh, the human-to-wolf transformation is quick. You know, it looks painless. Hell, it looks kind of fun. You know, why not turn into a werewolf? But in movies like The Howling and American Werewolf in London, the transformation, you know, it took some time. You 
know, it was, it was like a process. It was scary, and it looked painful. And the werewolves, oh man, the werewolves looked genuinely wicked in this flick. You know, by today's standards, uh, it might not be all that scary of a movie, but I'd still recommend it. It still gives me the willies. Number eight, Salem's Lot, 1979. This is actually a miniseries. It's not, not a movie, per se. Um, but they did make a couple of miniseries uh, based on the Stephen King book, Salem's Lot. And this one in particular, the 1979 one, um, was, man, it was scary. Like, the newest miniseries with Donald Sutherland and, and Rob Lowe, yeah, that was pathetic. But the first one, that first one that they made back in 79, I watched with my parents and I was five years old. And it scarred me for life. It destroyed me. Now, there's a scene, you know, I'm sure you can pull it up on YouTube, where this little boy vampire is levitating, floating around in the mist outside this kid's bedroom window, clawing at it, wanting to come in. I, I ain't gonna lie, this fucked me up good. You know, I'm a grown-ass man, and I still don't want to watch that scene. I don't think I slept for like ten months after seeing that. From that point on, even to this day, I make it a point not to sleep next to the window. True story. Number seven, The Amityville Horror, 1979. Alright, so you move into this wonderful, lovely house with your family. You get the deal of a century price for it. Everything is great, except for the fact that an unholy entity wrote the words, Pigs Get Out on the Walls. Now, look. You know, it's all fine and dandy to try and, and think things through rationally, but I'm in the camp that says, haul thy ass out of there. And to be fair, there are some people in this world that need to be told things four or five times before they finally grasp what's being conveyed to them. Not me. That shit comes through loud and clear for me. You know, telling the tale of a haunted house or, or a house with a possession is a lost art. Nowadays, it's chainsaws with timers on them, with a puppet telling them, that, you know, if, if they cut off their arm, they have a chance to live. That shit's not scary. You know, give me the disembodied voice of a little girl giggling in a, in a big-ass haunted house any day over that noise. Number six, John Carpenter's The Fog, 1980. You know, my parents, they, they had a really warped view of what movies were okay for me to watch and what movies I couldn't see. You know, no, you can't watch The Breakfast Club. No, you can't watch Tequila Sunrise with Mel Gibson. But movies like The Howling and The Fog? Knock yourself out, kid. Go right ahead. This one stuck with me for a long time. I was about nine years old when I watched this one. I was down in the basement of my house with my cousins. You know, watched this flick. Messed me up really good. The next morning, I shit you not, the whole neighborhood was enveloped in fog. And this was Idaho, folks. We got fog like once a year, if that. Yeah, guess who didn't get the Sunday morning paper from the driveway? And number five, we have The Omen, the 1976 version. This one was rough. I mean, really rough. I attended this very strict, highly religious Christian school when I was in kindergarten through second grade. Thankfully, before they could screw with my head anymore, my parents yanked me out of there and, and put me into public school, but I realized when it came to movies about Satan, the damage was already done. Case in point, the original Omen. After being taught about Jesus and God, uh, the, the concept of an Antichrist was really alarming. Even at that young of an age, I felt that most people on a fundamental level were good, 
which made the idea that true evil could exist in the form of a child, uh, it just really, really scary shit. And that scene where the nanny, you know, hangs herself at the kid's birthday party, just, it stuck with me, even to this day. Number four is a movie called Session Nine. Not a lot of people have actually seen this movie. Uh, I, I don't even think that this movie made it to the theaters. I remember watching this movie a few years ago on cable, and it, it's one of those movies that y you don't want to turn away because you don't want to miss anything, but at the same time, you're not really ready to see some of the things they're showing you. Now, there are no vampires or werewolves in this one. Uh, it's not your traditional Halloween fright flick. The plot focuses on an asbestos removal crew who slowly become insane while working at an abandoned mental asylum. This movie is probably the best psychological horror movie I've ever seen. The soundtrack, the camera angles, hell, the whole movie really has this way in which it plays on the nerves. This one stuck with me for a while. Let's see, where are we at? We're at number three, number three, The Ring. Now, I went to see this movie mainly out of curiosity. Now, this movie was rated PG-13, didn't have any sex, very little violence, I don't think it had any real cursing in this film. You know, if the MPAA rated their films based on the severity of those three categories alone, this movie would be like PG bordering on a, a G rating. Much like Session 9, this film psychologically played on the nerves and, and the mind of the viewers while staying honest to the horror genre by putting a bunch of jump-out-and-scare-you moments in there. This one really caught me off guard. I came home after watching it, and, and I, I felt the need to watch Toy Story or, or Willy Wonka, you know? Something to wash the feelings of the ring off of me. But that would entail me getting within a few feet of my television. So, I spent the rest of my night hiding under the covers. Number two, The Shining, 1980. Okay, so forget the fact that you're supposedly alone in a massive and creepy hotel, snowed in and completely isolated from the outside world. Forget all of that. Regardless of the actual context of the situation, if you're scooting along on your big wheel, just riding along, minding your own business, singing a song, you turn the corner and immediately come face to face with two creepy little girls. <sighs> Doctor, your urine sample is ready. Kubrick was a master of creating scenes that are agonizing and atmospheric, and Jack Nicholson just destroys it. This is just one of many roles that will ensure that he's immortalized. This movie is just lights-out scary, perfect movie for Halloween viewing. Alright, last but certainly not least, number one, The Exorcist. This was probably the number one fuck-up when it came to my parents' judgment of what movies I should and shouldn't watch. I checked this movie out when I was 11 years old. Nightmares for weeks afterwards. What I said about the omen, we can effectively amplify those feelings by 10 at least when it comes to this movie. And the thing is, this was an, actually a very well-made film. You know, I even own the movie. But I'll be damned if I can bring myself to watch it. I wouldn't even really want to show it to someone who hasn't seen it. I mean, there is a reason why this movie is number one on everyone's list, including mine. I mean, if you want a, a mindless horror movie that has some unintentional laughs... This is not the movie for you. If you want the scariest movie in existence, at least in my book, it's hands down The Exorcist. 
So to sum it all up, if you have TiVo or Netflix and you want to watch a horror movie with some balls this Halloween, any of these ten will do nicely. Sweet dreams, y'all. Oof. I got the willies just talking about those flicks. And now for something completely different. Time for a little community calendar and playground news. Uh, actually, you know what? Hold that thought. Let's do let's do something a little different. Let's do a little mailbag. I haven't done emails in a long time. Let's see what uh, what is in the inbox. All right, we have an email here from Matthew Clayton. He writes, uh, I have been wanting to email you for a long time and decided today was the day. I wanted to let you know that you were the first podcast I started listening to and no other podcast comes close to your showmanship and the overall production value you add into your show. Your show is funny, witty, informational, and has some awesome ball rock and background music that transitions you flawlessly between topics. Keep up the good work and try to cut back on the Red Bull... They're bad for your kidneys. Is that true? Really? Is Red Bull really bad for your kidneys? I gotta think that too much of anything can be bad for your kidneys, but too much Red Bull? I mean, I can see too much Red Bull in vodka, but you know what? Believe it or not, I really don't drink that many energy drinks. Now, I'll pop one during tournaments, you know, and when I do podcasts mainly, but that's about it. I'm, I'm usually just a, a, a coffee and green tea kind of guy. But uh, th- thanks for the email, and uh, thanks for listening, Matthew see, the next one is from Jaybro. He writes, Hey man, you have by far the best podcast on the MTG Cast Network. Aw, shucks. We're some young bucks getting started ourselves. We do a show called Four Spikes. Any interest in jumping on and talking some MTG with us? Thanks much for the email, amigo. Um, you know, I'll be honest, I barely get enough time to do my own podcast. <laughs> I mean, trust me on this. Like, uh, th- This is episode number 21. I've been doing this podcast for over two years now. You do the math on that. <laughs> that and I give incredibly poor interviews. Uh, just just ask Road Warrior Otwell. He'll back me up on that one. But send me some info and I'll see what I can do. Um, but in the meantime, and in the event I can't make it on, I'd like to tell everyone that's listening that I've listened to every podcast that Four Spikes has put out so far. And they are the real deal. They do a great cast. Go check them out. Tell them Jin sent you. And the last one we've got is from person. Uh, it's actually there's a comment on uh, on one of my uh, on my last episode uh, from Ellie Hendricks saying, as always, great show. Uh, I also love your deck. Already bought it on Modo, and I'm tweaking it now for my own liking. Uh, I think he's, he's talking about uh, my dudes a buy deck that I broke down on my last episode. I also play with it on Magic Workstation with three Elspeth 2.0, and uh, she is the absolute stone cold nuts in this deck. It's like you said, incredibly fun to play and actually very good against a lot of decks. Thanks for the awesome deck idea and keep the epic show going. You know, I had a feeling Elspeth was going to be insane in that deck. Thanks for listening. Uh, glad you enjoyed the deck and uh, were able to give it some proper and probably much-needed updates. If you uh, if you like the show or you hate the show and maybe you just want to trade apple cobbler recipes, I don't know, send your feedback to ginsplayground at gmail.com or simply throw comments in the comment section of the show right here on mtgcast.com. All right, now let's move on to community calendar and playground news. The following events are brought to you by Front Range Magic. If you're in the Denver area and want to know what huge magic tournaments are happening, 
Visit FrontRangeMagic.com for all the juicy details. FrontRangeMagic.com. It's in the game. Oh, shit. That one's taken, too. Man, that's a good one, too. Mark those calendars. November 6, 2010. TCGPlayer.com Championship Series TCQ Qualifier. It's going to be held at Enchanted Grounds, Highlands Ranch, Colorado. Standard format. Cost is $25. Registration begins at 9 a.m. Play begins at 10 a.m. I'll be there, hopefully ready to do some serious damage myself. And we have a grand total of two PTQs for Pro Tour Paris. One that's taking place on November 13th, and another one that's taking place on December 11th. They're both happening at the same place, the Holiday Inn on 4849 Bannock Street, Denver, Colorado. The format's going to be the same, Scars of Mirrodin sealed deck with a top 8 draft. Cost is going to be 30 bucks. Registration starts at 9 a.m., play begins at 10 a.m. And lastly, oh, I'm, I'm real excited to announce this one. February 19th through the 20th, the Mile High City will be hosting Grand, Grand Prix Denver. The format's going to be Scars of Mirrodin and Mirrodin Besieged Seal Deck. The details are forthcoming about the exact location. I, When I know, you guys will know. The question isn't whether or not you guys are all coming down to play in this massive event. Oh, no, no, no. The question is, who is coming with me to the strip club after day one? Gentlemen, it's time to come to terms with your fears and desires. Middle to late February here in Colorado, oh, it's, it's going to be cold. But there is a proven method in which we can warm the spirit. Look at it this way. If you make day two, you win. If you don't make day two, you win. Win-win situations, they rarely present themselves, folks. My advice is to start saving now. Also, I will be there with Road Warrior Otwell, and we will both be podcasting our brains out, hopefully getting in some good interviews with the pros and the people making Grand Prix Denver happen. Guys, this one's going to be huge. Moving on to some playground news. I have my own website now. Uh, you guys probably know about it already, but uh, if you don't, go you now and check it out, www.jinsplayground.com. Bookmark that bad motor scooter because you will want to come back over and over and over again, and I'll tell you why. I am officially opening up the floodgates, ladies and gents. I have recently added a blog section to the website. If you, that's right, I'm talking to you, if you have a magic blog and you want to get uh, some more people reading it, send me the link for your blog to ginsplayground at gmail.com. I'll give it a read, and if it's got the kind of gusto I'm looking for, I'll put your blog on my site. There's two big conditions. One, you, you can't be like an Al-Qaeda sleeper cell. No, I can't stand those guys. Those, they smell awful. Please don't be one of them. And two, the blog must be about magic. But deviations every once in a while are, you know, they're fine. There are already three minty fresh magic blogs up at the site. The Fry Guy Invectives is a blog done by a buddy of mine who is slowly climbing back into the magic community after years of being on hiatus. Scotty writes some, some insane stuff. I think you'll like it. Another buddy of mine who lives out in Utah, Travis Padilla, is doing a blog that is dedicated specifically to limited strategy, which could be pretty good stuff uh, considering that uh, this upcoming season is all about, you know, 
Scars of Mirrodin Limited. And trust me, this guy knows what he's talking about. One of the best Magic players I've come across in, in my whole career. And last but not least, there's a guy that uh, goes by the name of Gavin Verhey. Now, you, you, you might have heard of him. His blog is up and rolling as we speak. I invite all of you to swing on by and give these guys a read. Now, the official Facebook fan page for Jin's Playground went from 128 people to 136 over the last couple of weeks, which means only one thing, the infection is spreading. The army is growing. We cannot be stopped. We cannot be contained. If you're on Facebook, or if you have friends who are on Facebook, or maybe all of your friends are on Facebook and you're not, wait, whoa, that, then I guess that wouldn't apply to you. Damn, where, where was I going with that? Screw it. Ignore everything I just said right there. If you're on Facebook, become a fan of Jin's Playground today. Offer expires while you wait. Operators are standing by. Now, I'm not going to lie. You know, this show actually costs some money to do, and it's a pain in the ass to pay these silly bills at the end of the month. No one in their right mind will sponsor this show, but that's okay. I ain't going to beg anyone for money. In a worst-case scenario, I'll do okay on my own. But... If you guys really want to support the show, there's an easy way to do it, and you'll get something out of the deal. Jin's Playground has its own line of t-shirts and hoodies. The link to go get them is in the show notes of this podcast and on my website. Yes, I do get a tiny kickback from that site that makes the shirt, but more importantly, at least to me, you guys are wearing Playground gear and letting everyone around you know what's up. Just don't wear those shirts around Glenn Goddard. He may ask that you give him a quarter. <laughs> Alright, time to wrap it up But before I do, I have a couple of shout-outs Shout-out goes out to Magic Pro Paul Chion I would say former Magic Pro But even in retirement, this guy is still better than me He recently shot me a message on Facebook Telling me that he still listens to the podcast Whenever I get around to making them He's still living the dream out in Curacao But, uh Something tells me that his days of playing at the top level of Magic are not over. You know, I know that he plays on Moto, and I, I had to rub my eyes when I read this on Facebook, but I think he even flirted with the idea of coming out to Denver for the Grand Prix. Talk about a trick-or-treat. And finally, a big shout-out goes out to uh, Michael Sven, our Colorado 2010 state champion... He plowed through the field with a control deck that looks awfully similar to... Wait a second. This, this looks exactly like Chapin's control deck. Who does that? Who copies a pro deck like that and then takes it to states? Oh, wait a second. I, I did the same thing with Wesco's Elves. God, I'm bad at this stupid game. Congrats again, brother. Alright, that's it. Show's over. Kaput. Finito. Happy Halloween, everyone. Be safe. This is the Jin signing off, saying, If you see that someone's head is on fire, tell them. They will appreciate it. Peace.